The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, I don't know about where you are, but right here in New England, we have glorious weather. If you like the heat, and I love the heat, which of course begs the further question of why I live in New England, but that's a conversation for another day. So right now I'm just enjoying that the sun is out and it's almost 90 degrees outside. I love it. Um, Last week, we introduced our Schools Out Application Workshop Series. Um, Ian was hosting, and he and Kira Tyler had a discussion on writing the essay. We are getting lots and lots of questions from you on the essay. So if you didn't hear that session, I would strongly recommend that you go to our archives and listen to it. Um, Those of you who did tune in were assigned homework. We're going to be reviewing that a little bit later in the show and discussing um, putting together a list uh, in, in that segment. We're also going to be giving out more homework. Um, this work is part of our larger segment called Office Hours, which is time when we're addressing whatever is most important in admissions and financial aid right now. Uh, today, that's your admission question, so we're going to be answering some of those today. But before we get to all of that, uh, one of my very favorite financial college finance experts, Jean Mahan, formerly of Quinsigamund Community College, and I think, Jean, that's really why you're one of my favorites, because I love <laughs> saying that word. And you're doing it so well now. <laughs> I, I've gotten so much better. Uh, she's here to talk about how much is too much to borrow when it comes to paying for college. Uh, super important topic, Jean. How are you? Yeah. I'm good today, and I'm loving the summer, too. So. Good, good. That's right. We're both up here in New England. Yes, right. So, so we let's complain all winter. Exactly. And um, I can uh, tell our listeners how many feet of snow are on the ground, which is my sort of least favorite thing. But um, let's start at the very basic level. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you, when you think about borrowing money for school, which is something that a lot of people are going to do, um, what is, in your opinion, the basic rule of thumb in terms of getting a baseline of how much uh, to borrow? or how much not to borrow, you know, not to go beyond, I guess. So I think a good rule of thumb is not to borrow more than what the student's expected first-year salary is going to be. That can be a little tricky because some kids go to school and they have no idea what they're going to major in. So if that's the case, you might want to set your bar kind of low. So maybe say thirty to $40,000, we are not going to borrow more than this. If your child has a career in mind, maybe they're going to be a teacher, an engineer, um, who knows what, you know, what other type of career, going into business, 
do a little research to find out what the average starting salaries are in that field. And then, you know, make sure that you're not borrowing more than that. Um, a really good place to find that information is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They publish something called the Occupational Outlook Handbook. It's available online, or you can go to the library. It's a huge book, but online is easier. And you can look at um, careers. You can get information on whether that's a growth field or not. That's important sometimes for a family when they're, you know, putting out all this kind of money. And also you can get the median salaries. Do a little research if you have friends in, in a particular area, you know, in a certain business or teaching. Ask them what starting salaries are and sort of have that as your kind of maximum loan amount that you want to borrow. A lot of financial advisors suggest that Students borrow no more than 10 to 15% of their expected income. So um, that might make it a more reasonable place to do your borrowing. Right. And, I, I mean, I think you made a point that I want to hit on, which is it is difficult because you don't know, often students don't know what they want to study. Or let's say they go in saying, because I see this, all the time. I, I talk to students every day who I want to be a doctor, right? So mm-hmm. they go in thinking they're going to be doctors. Um, so if you think about the starting salary for a doctor, it's not bad. Um, but there are a, a lot of other things to consider, right? First of all, you're going to have to pay for medical school. Right. And, you know, then you're going to have to do a residency. You generally don't really start making good money until you're through a lot of school. And, oh, by the way, there's a lot of kids who never even get through organic chemistry, so they never get Mm -hmm. to be a doctor because they change their minds. Or, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time. So I love your idea of maybe the most you really want to do is $35,000, $40,000 to hedge against, you know, them changing their mind, even if they have a lucrative um, career in mind. Right. And then they're all the better because if they do start out making seventy dollars or $80,000, then they're, they're not going to have any problem paying back that smaller amount of loans. And, you know, the federal maximum from the direct loan program, uh, which some of our listeners might remember as guaranteed student loans or Stafford loans, the maximum that an undergrad can borrow is $30,000. So if you kind of keep that in mind and say, you know, if we have to borrow just a little bit more through a parent loan or a private loan, we're only going to make it maybe five or $10,000 more. And that, again, will keep it in check. So in generally, students who borrow the maximum federal loans are usually able to pay their loans off without a lot of difficulty if they do two things. The first thing is finish the degree for which they were borrowing yep. those loans and yep. make sure that they're keeping in touch with the loan servicer in case they're having problems when they're in repayment because a lot of times students rush through their exit counseling at graduation and they don't bother choosing a repayment plan that might fit their lifestyle. So they might just pick a standard 10-year repayment and they find that the payments are really a little bit too much for them, even if they have only borrowed $30,000. And a lot of them will neglect to contact their servicer and say, what other type of repayment plans might work better for me, like you know, an income-based repayment or a graduated repayment? So if you do those two things, finish your degree and make sure that you're keeping in touch with your servicer, you should be able to avoid problems with repayment. Right. And, I, you know... I don't even remember. I took out loans for college. I don't remember having an exit interview. I don't know if they did those back then in the dark ages. But, <laughs> um, you know, if I, I, I'm not sure. I'm the kind of student. I'm not sure I really would have gone. I was like, okay, I'll take 10 years. I'll pay it back, and I'll be good. Right. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, one, one other point maybe to refer back to around not borrowing too much money 
is freedom when you graduate mm-hmm. to have some choice, right? To, right. Exactly. To exactly. say, I want to go live in New York City, which is mm-hmm. something I was able to do because my parents were really adamant about me not borrowing a lot of money. If my payments had been higher, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And mm-hmm. um, you know what a terrible thing. So I think right. about those same things when I think about my son, who's only 12, and how much money or not he will end up having to borrow when it comes right. time for college. And, you know, talking about our New England winters, I'll often talk to kids who will say, you know what, I really want to go to school in California. I want the weather. I I just need it. But they have to borrow lots and lots and lots of money to do that. And what happens at the end of the four years where they enjoyed that beautiful weather, they have to come back to New England and live in their parents' basement and freeze for how many years until they can pay those loans off. So, you know, really thinking about what you're going to be able to pay, how you want to live. You know, do you want to live on your own? Do you want roommates? Do you want to live in New York City? Are you happier in a rural area where it won't cost you quite as much? Um, I usually recommend that parents and their students sit down, use a student loan calculator to determine the monthly loan payment. Lots of payment calculators on the Internet. You can use one at Bankrate, and even the New York Times has one. And that will give you an estimated monthly payment based on the total amount you can think you're going to borrow. And then start talking to your child. Do you think you're going to live in a place where you need a car? Are you willing to take the bus? You know, are you willing to live in a postage stamp apartment with five other people? Um, do you expect that you're going to be able to shop wherever you want and, you know, go out after work whenever you want? Let's, let's look at that. And, and I have to say, you know, my youngest child graduated from college four years ago, and, and I thought that we had really, you know, gone over all of these things. And, you know, we helped her set up a budget and everything. And still I would get a phone call, hey, do you know how much bananas cost? And, oh, my gosh, I have a water bill. And so even, you know, <laughs> setting them up, they don't always really understand it. And I, I don't blame 17- and 18-year-olds. They just really don't, I think, have the mental capacity to understand what a $300 a month loan payment might be or borrowing $100,000, and they think four years from now is, you know, the next century. And so right. they have some difficulties with that, but I think really as parents, it's our, our, really our role to sit down and really try to do that due diligence and explain to them, you know, this is what it's going to look like in a few years if you do this. Right. And I do think that's important. I mean, I know from the teenagers in my house that, um, you know, life just kind of comes at them. You know, they're just dealing with what's happening in that minute, let alone what's going to happen next week, let alone what's going to happen in a year. Mm -hmm. And until you, you know, like your daughter, who I'm sure got a great financial education at Mm -hmm. home and yet is sort of like, gee, I forgot about the water bill. I didn't know I was going to be getting that kind of thing. So, yes. You know, it's really just to, you know, to make sure that you've kind of gone over it with them um, to so you can at least start that conversation going. Right. What about, um, so we've talked about students borrowing money. What about parents borrowing money to help pay for their, their child's college? So, you know, a lot of times I'll talk to parents and they'll, you know, I'll ask them sort of what their financing plan is, and they'll say, well, I'm just planning to borrow. And a few years ago I talked to a, a man who had five children, and he said he was planning to borrow um, I don't know, I think it was ten or 20000 a year for each child. And it sounded okay when he said it like that, but when I said to him, do you realize that's $200,000 by the time your last child graduates, there was dead silence. <laughs> because he really hadn't thought of it that way. And so you really need to think about, 
not just this child. If you've got another child or you've got two more or three more, you need to think about how you're going to finance it for all of them and what really can you afford to borrow. A lot of times a family, I'll ask them, you know, if you were to borrow $20,000 and your payment is 200 a month, could you afford putting $200 aside today in lieu of borrowing? And they'll mm-hmm. say no. And so I'll say, well, what's going to change in four, five, six, seven years? Right. And a lot of times the answer is nothing. So you really need to think carefully about what can I afford down the road? How many children do I need to educate? How old am I? You know, do I ever plan to retire? Because if you're going to move into your 60s with $100,000 of debt, that could defer some of your plans as well. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it's really important not to think of this as, as my friend uh, and colleague Beth Feinberg Keenan says, there's no buy one, get one free policy. You really have to think about this as for each child, what are we going to do? So right. really, and really important to think through that. And, and I also think realistically, is this is your impression that your child is then going to help you pay that debt when they get older? Is that So are they then going to be saddled with it? Are you going to move in with them? I mean, you, you always have to remember that you're, it's great to set your kids up. It's great to send them off to college. But if you both wind up heavily in debt, mm-hmm. how does that help anybody? It, it doesn't. doesn't. You it know, it really, really a lot does of stress, it. yeah, and mm-hmm. you can't get out of these loans. I mean, there is the only way you can get out of them is to die, and that's not a repayment strategy that I recommend. No. Nope. And so, um, you know, you can't file bankruptcy, and you can't have them discharged. So it's really, really important to think about these are, these are going to be with you for a while, and the more you borrow, the longer it will take to repay them. Right, exactly. And, I, you know, I think... Is it worth the four years on an ivy color on a campus with ivy covered buildings when maybe the the local state institution you could have gotten a, also a very good education and mm-hmm. it would have cost you know a lot less exactly. and again we don't want to get into the argument because it's not always true that private is automatically more expensive than public I'm not saying mm-hmm. any of that it's just I do think sometimes people get stars in their eyes and make bad financial decisions as a result and then you know come to really regret that and when what you if, have your offers in hand, that's really when you can know, okay, this is what our bottom line is. Now we can think about what we're going to do. I mean, you sh- that should be something that you're kind of thinking about, but at that point where you're going to start making decisions, like March or April of your child's senior year, you'll, you'll have hard numbers in front of you, mm-hmm. and so you'll be able to make those decisions. It's never a good idea to make those decisions after May 1st when you've already deposited at a school. Exactly, exactly. What about, so we talked about students borrowing money. We talked about parents borrowing money. What about when students borrow money and parents co-sign on the loan? So from the parents' perspective, well, I'm not borrowing the money. My child is borrowing the money, and I think they can handle it. What do you feel, how do you feel about the whole co-signing question? So I think that parents need to proceed with caution when they're co-signing for their children. Many, many people that I talk to don't seem to understand that that loan that they've co-signed is now as much their responsibility as it is their child's. And if for some reason their child can't make those payments, then the burden of paying that loan is going to fall to them. So it's really, really important to think about that. It's going to appear on the parent's credit history. So if at some point down the road you need to um, buy a car or remortgage your home, that's going to be factored into your debt-to-income ratio. If you have multiple children, will at some point you run out of eligibility? You won't be able mm-hmm. to co-sign on loans for you know two, three, four children 
if it starts to come to the point where it's skewing your debt-to-income ratio. Um, again, the loans can't be discharged, and I've seen so many times where kids just haven't been able to make the payments. You know, they've borrowed fifty dollars mm-hmm. or $60,000 in private loans plus the 30000 they have from the federal mm-hmm. student loan program. It's just impossible for them to make those payments. Another thing, and this is a really rather morbid um, topic, but I think it's one that is worth a warning because I've seen it unfortunately happen, is that you, if you are planning to borrow uh, to co-sign a private loan for your child, you want to look at whether or not there's a discharge or a co-signer release after a certain period of time. So sometimes if the borrower makes you know, 36 or 40 to- 48 on-time payments, there will be a discharge. I mean, the co-signer is released from the loan, but that's after the borrower's income is looked at, their credit re- history, you know, debt to income. But if the, um, you ha- should ask if the loan is discharged in the event of the borrower's death or permanent total disability. I have seen situations where the borrower has died and mm-hmm. the co-signer has been on the hook for that loan and has mm-hmm. not been able to get it discharged. So because of my experiences with this in over 20 years in an aid office, I usually recommend that parents that are planning to co-sign also take out a life insurance policy for that child and the amount that they intend to borrow over, you know, four years or whatever, mm-hmm. just yep. to cover themselves so they don't have that added burden after a tragic event like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Jean, I mean, those are most of my questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap? You know, I just think it's one of these conversations that you need to start having with your child, like in the ninth grade. It's not too early. You know, just talking about, you know, you're you're planning to go to college and financing is a big part of this and how are we going to work this out. And, you know, explaining to your kids, maybe you're not willing to borrow against your home or read your retirement account. So you have to have a plan with your child. You know, this is what we can do and this is what we can't do. And, And we are willing to help you with some borrowing, but we can only borrow a maximum of this much. Um, And, again, using calculators, which are available online, to to really get an idea of what that's going to look like for you and looking carefully at your budget to see if that's something that you can, you know, really handle long term. Yep, absolutely. Jean, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. It was great to be with you. Uh, So after the break, we're going to be doing our Schools Out application workshop session, so stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Last week's host, Ian Fisher, is joining me today, and we're going to talk some more about college essays. We're going to go over last week's homework. We're going to talk about getting started on the college list and assign some more homework, so very exciting. Hi, Ian. How are you? Hey, Beth. Good to be back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice to have you as a guest. I don't get to talk to you on the show anymore because when you're on your... You're usually hosting. That's um, right. I do. I want to remind our readers, our listeners, our readers, our listeners, that um, we'd love to get your questions, especially as they relate to the Schools Out Application Workshop series. So um, send them in, gettingin.voiceamerica.gmail.com uh, anytime. And we're lo- always looking at those. And if they make sense to incorporate into next week's show, we're going to do that. We're hoping this can be a little bit more interactive than maybe the show traditionally is. So uh, just keep right. that in mind. So I listened last week and you guys had a great, you and Kira, Tyler, had a great segment about getting started in the essay. And I will tell you that if I look at our reader questions, the percentage that are about the essay, it's probably a third of what's coming in right now. So wow. hopefully people are listening to that. Um, And I wanted to kind of continue the conversation a little bit by talking a little bit about the homework. So you assigned some homework, some three things that you wanted students um, to do. And maybe you you want to talk a little bit more about kind of your thoughts on what to do with that now that they've done the assignment, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, you know, that's an assignment that I actually give to all of my students um, just as a start in the brainstorming process. And it's something that I've started this year. I played with it a little bit last year and it was really effective. And so that's, that's why I think it's a good thing for students to try in general. And just as a reminder, I ask students to create a list of things that make them happy, a list of things that they're proud of, and a list of things that they want an admission officer to know about them. So now you've got your list of these, these basically three different categories of items. Um, and what I do when I sit down with a student who's made these lists is I start to go through and say, what uh, elements of what you've already discussed here are going to be covered by other parts of your application? So let's say you're proud that you're an Eagle Scout. That's probably going to be in your activities list. So just saying that you're an Eagle Scout, not something you need to write an essay about. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you want to talk about a particular trip that you had when you were an Eagle Scout, at, you know, out to the Philmont Ranch or some merit badge that you earned that was really challenging. That might not be covered by the application elsewhere. Um, and so, you know, sort of thinking about what's the stuff that's already covered and what's the stuff that's only going to show up in your application if you write an essay about it. Um, and, you know, yeah, I have I, to, I, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, I love that idea. I've never really thought about it that way. But really, in essence, what you're saying is, can you dig a little deeper? If right. you love, if you're proud that you're an Eagle Scout, what could you say in an essay beyond just, I'm an Eagle Scout, which you're already going to say in your activities list? And I think you really highlighted that. And that's, that is the thing I find that students tend to struggle with the most. They know the things that are important about them or, or you know, the concrete things. But then the issue is, but what, do I, what could I write about in an essay about that? And, and that's, you know, what you're encouraging them to do is dig a little bit deeper. And I love that. So um, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and think about your allies that you have through your application. You've got probably a counselor, at least one, maybe two teachers that are writing letters of recommendation. So if, you know, something you're proud of is the hard work that you put to, you know, earn a B after getting a C in the first semester in AP Calculus, and that teacher happens to be your recommender, well, then that's probably going to be included in your application. And so, you know, these things that you're ha- that make you happy, that you're proud of, that you want an admissions officer to know about you, you can start to zero in on some of the stuff that won't be included unless you put it in there. Um, and so then what I encourage students to look for is patterns. So are you seeing things that are reoccurring? Um, you know, I had a student that I was working with who was really proud of his background in theater um, and makeup design, and it was something that made him happy, was performing and being on the stage. And so we saw all these things that were sort of connected in every single one of those three lists, and that really jumped out as the thing for him to write an essay on. So mm-hmm. you kind of see these like emerging topics just based on looking at who you are as a student and you know what the things are that, that sort of identify who you are. Um, and that's, that's what makes a good essay, right? I mean, like yep. you're getting at your, your personality and what you're going to bring to the table as a community member. Right. And, I, you know, one, one of the questions um, that you posed or assigned as homework, what do you want admissions officers to know about you? What I find when I ask that question of students, and I'd be interested to hear what your experiences are and how we can help our listeners get away from this, is that I get things like, I want them to know I work really hard. I want them to know that I am more than just, you know, that my grades are okay, but I'm smarter than that. Or I want them to know Mm -hmm. that I, you know, things that are in my mind, super generic, not wonderful attributes, but just generic to the point of really like that is what you would tell an admissions officer if you had you know, five minutes to, to tell them why they should admit you. So h- how do we help our listeners and our students get from being super generic about themselves in that particular section to being much more uh, specific and with, a, with something that actually would lend itself to an essay? Yeah, that's a great question. Kira sort of proactively with her assignment, you know, she asked students to come up with five adjectives that, that describe them. And she said, you cannot use like hardworking and determined. Yep. You know, she just like throw those out because everybody wants to use those and they're not differentiating. And um, that's, that's a really great sort of proactive way to approach her assignment. Um, for me, what I try and think of is, you know, if we go back to the example of Eagle Scouting, um, one thing that I encourage students to think about is you're on that trip with others, right? There were other Boy Scouts who were there, who were mm-hmm. on that trip, who were engaged in that activity. So I want to make sure that you're writing an essay that nobody else at that trip yes. could also write. So it's a perspective that only you have from a trip that was shared with 15 other boys, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we're getting to something unique. Um, if you want to write an essay about struggling in class, 
okay, but there are thousands of thousands of, of kids that struggle in class. So that's not picking you out. Um, we want to find an angle on the story that is really unique to you. Um, and so I try and get students to think about other people that they know in their lives who have shared experiences with them. And then think about what aspect of that experience is unique to you, because mm-hmm. that's the thing that you need to focus on when you write this essay. Right. And I love that point. It is write an essay that only you could write, which seems very daunting. But if you think about it from that very you know, thoughtful perspective that you just offered, um, that's how you kind of start to zero in on it. I had a student a couple of years ago who um, was going to write about running for office uh, and losing, which, you know, is somewhat unique, but not really. I mean, how right, many people happens. run for president of their class every I year? And, and I lost. Right, yeah. And there you go. So you could have written that essay. <laughs> exactly. I elected not to win because I thought I'd not to run because I didn't think I would win. Um, so that says something entirely different about me, probably. <laughs> but um, but what we ultimately came, what she actually had the great idea. I, I'm not sure I really um, was super instrumental in this, but her unique angle was that she was in as a freshman, very tiny person and her father had encouraged her to memorize her speech because he said it would be more impressive if she memorized it. So um, instead of going to the podium and using the microphone, when she saw that, well, she, when she saw the space, she realized, you know, uh Oh, I could be in trouble here. I memorized my speech. My dad said, don't do it from the podium. And there's a microphone there at the podium, but if I do it from the center of the stage, there's no microphone. Well, she decided, well, this is, I plan to do it on the fly and act like I didn't have to read my script, so I'm going to do that. And it was a disaster. She was super mm-hmm. tiny. They could barely see her. No one could hear her. And um, for her, the lesson learned there was you can have a plan, but sometimes you need to deviate from the plan. And then she used the rest of the essay to show how she had kind of used what she learned in future situations so that, you know, she kind of never, she never went against her gut again as a result, as a result. Anyway, it ended up being a very unique essay. It was something only she could have written because I don't know anyone else who probably had that exact same experience. And that's the key to an essay that's going to be a little bit more memorable and memorable is probably the wrong word, maybe a little bit more insightful than another essay. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that occurs to me, just as you mentioned that is I I can learn some things about her. I mean, her size is obviously not important, but there's something about wanting to command a room um, and of trying to be impressive and trying to sort of create gravity, even though you're a smaller person, smaller stature, there's some spunk there that you can kind of see from her getting up and saying, I'm going to do this anyway. Um, And I, I like that, the tenacity that comes through. So there, you know, that might be something that students proud of that you know they want an admission officer to know about them so you can kind of see these threads pull together and the more that you can incorporate who you are into these essays I think the better the better it can be Um, I would also say that you know some of the things that make you happy those might be little nuggets that you can include as an example in an essay or an aside that helps to show your personality or that helps to bring forth a sense of humor if you have one um, or can write like you have one. Um, So that's a good way, I think, for our students to think about what are some of the personality traits that I want to drop in here that are going to be helpful for an admission officer? So we are, um, I want to get to the other thing we want to talk about today, which are lists. But before we do that, what, um, any 
anything else that we want our listeners who are saying, okay, I did the homework and I've listened to what you've said, what's the next step for them from your perspective? And then I can offer some thoughts on my own too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so as you pull these kind of traits together and you look for commonalities and you think about what within all of your lists are things that are going to make you unique, you know, your, your unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think then you want to start to think about um, a particular story or experience or event, something with a finite period of time that you can use to illustrate what it is that you're hoping to, to share with an admission officer. So, you know, saying I'm determined and I want to share that, uh, first of all, it's, you know, not an adjective you want to use, but it's also very right. hard to write an essay that shows you're determined. You have to think about you know, the trip down the river and going through the class five rapids or something that illustrates that determination. So think about that as a sort of essay topic. And I would say come up with three different topics that are potential ideas for you that um, incorporate all of these ideas that um, demonstrate something about who you are and outline those topics. Think about what you would talk about at the start. Think about what the meaty sort of center is gonna be in terms of the experience and think about what the takeaway is that you want your reader to have about you. Um, you know, Obviously you're not gonna have a three paragraph essay necessarily, but it's good to kind of think about the essay in, in, those, um, in those terms. And the, the only thing that I would add to that, because I love all of that, is um, when you think about the takeaway, I, you know, when I read essays at Penn, I would, uh, on my reader, we had reader rating cards, now they do it online, but it's the same basic concept. I was writing a little bit of something about each element of the application so that when I presented mm-hmm. the student at committee, I could remember um, who they were and what they had to offer. And I always wrote a one-line summation of the essay. Yes. And the summation was, the, what is the point? You know, what did I learn about this student? So you need to be able to sum up what the person is going to learn about you in one sentence. And look at that sentence and say to yourself, is this what I want them to be talking about um, around that committee table if they do committee-style Um, conversation. And if you say, yeah, that nails something really important about me, then you know you've got a good topic. And if it doesn't, then maybe you have a little bit of more work to do. Yeah, I, I think we've got a good assignment there, right? So, so three potential topics, give them a brief outline, and then using Beth's advice, a one sentence summation at the bottom of each of those outlines that is your proposed takeaway for that essay. And yep. then weigh each of those sentences against one another to decide which one's going to be the most impactful story for you to tell for your application. Love it. All right. Nice. There you Good go. Job. All right. I love it. You got your homework. So Perfect. let's talk a little bit about um, the list. Um, I think, you know, this is another thing that gets people a little stressed out. And I, I know this is something that stresses people out in terms of getting started. Now, some of you listening may have already gotten started a while ago. Some of you may be just now saying, oh, my goodness, I've got to apply to college next fall. And I don't even have one school on my list or I only have one school on my list. So what would you say to our listeners who are finding themselves in that situation? I would say that there's still time. Um, I would, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're not, you know, you don't need to go apply next week and, and you don't, you can sort of take your time and approach it in a way that I think is going to get you the kind of information that you need. So take a breath, 
uh, but you do need to get started <laughs> and you yep. need to start researching some schools here. Um, one of the things that, I, that I, I think are just like philosophically is useful for a student to think about is don't think about this as you're going to find the one best school for you out there in this sea of thousands of schools. Um, instead, think about your goal being you want to find, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to ten schools that you really, really like. And they don't have to be the seven to 10 best schools for you by far above all the other options. They just have to be seven to 10 schools you really, really like. And I think a lot of students get focused on this idea of, I have to look at all these options and figure out what the best place is for me among those choices. When in fact, we've just got to have a variety of possibilities that we can live with, that we're going to be happy with. Um, And so approaching it from that perspective I think is is really useful philosophically because you're not looking for what's my best fit. You're looking for what would be a good fit. Um, right. And that can help to, to advance this process. And also help you not to get too stymied and, and you know, it's, it's hard to do sometimes with some students, but almost the worst thing you can do is fall too much in love with one particular school because, yes. you know, especially if that school is more selective than really you're qualified for or is just super selective in general, um, or maybe it's going to wind up being too expensive. You don't want to get yourself too set on one school and when there are so many wonderful schools out there. So to your point, having a list where all of them seem like they could work for you is really the ultimate goal that I would have um, for everybody. Yeah, so, I think that's great. Yeah, so how, do, how um, so all right, I'm, I'm a listener. I have no, I have no idea. Um, what would be, is there an assignment you might give to that um, student today? Sure, sure. And we've got really smart listeners out there, so I know that they're going to take this advice and <laughs> use it uh, really effectively. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so here's what I like to do is I, I start with my students and, and I just like to give them five schools to go out and research that are really different. Um, I want them to, first of all, just zero in on some of the attributes that they like out of college in general. So I'm not looking for at this stage, do you like school X and do you want to apply? I'm looking, I'm looking for, do you like the style of education that is offered at school X? What do you not like about it? And then we can figure out what some peers are of that school that sort of um, have those attributes as well. Um, so what I would recommend that listeners do if they have done nothing so far to think about their list or they've only really looked at one or two schools and they want to beef up their list a little bit more broadly is choose five schools um, with very, very different offerings and research them deeply. And what I want you to do is choose one school from a major athletic conference. So, you know, Pac-12, Big Ten, SEC, that's a certain type of college experience. Mm -hmm. I want you to choose one school from the list of schools on colleges that change lives. There are about 40 schools on that list. They're all very small liberal arts colleges. They're in different parts of the country, um, and they're quite different from a major athletic conference school. Um, I want you to choose one school in a major urban center, so somewhere like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, something that's got an urban feel, and then one school that's in a rural or small town setting. So we're sort of showing the different ends of the spectrum there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then finally, one school that's at least 1,000 miles away from home, or if your first four schools are all more than 1,000 miles from home because that's where you want to go, one school that is close to home. Yep. Um, And what I want you to do is use the Princeton Review at princetonreview.com or the Fisk Guide to Colleges, uh, it's F-I-S-K-E, and just read about these schools, um, the ones that you've chosen. Learn as much as you can about them. Think about the way they describe themselves, what the student population 
uh, seems to be interested in, what the atmosphere is like, and get a sense for yourself of what is really an attractive college experience for you, generally speaking. What do you think about that? Ah, I love that idea, actually. I was just thinking I'm going to be stealing a little bit of that. Um, (laughs) I do, you know, I do think one of the biggest mistakes people make when they approach the college list process is they either focus exclusively on schools that they've heard of, because that's where everyone else is looking, or um, they focus exclusively on a list that maybe they went and saw this school once when they were in seventh grade and they loved it, so they're assuming that that's still what they want. And um, they they don't open themselves up enough to what else is out there. And the more right. that you can do that, and I like that about this assignment because you're not saying this is where you're going to apply. You're just saying take a look at these schools. They don't have to be schools you're ever going to apply to. Um, and I do a similar assignment in terms of go visit some local institutions. You may yeah, not apply true. to any of these, but go and see that school. You know, it's in New England, it's a little bit easier than in some other parts of the country. But, you know, here students can go look at a school in a major urban center. They can go look at a bigger school with the football team and all of that. They can look at a small liberal arts school. They can start to get a feel for what that is like. Um, mm-hmm. And then we can extrapolate, like you say, we can find some schools that look like that if, say, your goal is to be in the South and you don't want to be in New England. Um, but it's tough. Uh, people have a tough time, students and parents, sort of separating themselves from, well, if I am looking at this school or reading about it, I have to be interested in this specific school. And what I like about this is really you're saying, no, not the school so much as what attributes of the school do you like? And then we can go and find exactly. um, some that fit that, right? Exactly. So, and yeah. I, you know, I have students that have a love for a certain school and that's totally fine. But if somebody told you that their favorite ice cream was chocolate chip and that they'd never tried any other kind of ice cream, it'd be kind of hard to believe that that was actually their favorite, right? right. You got to go out there and try some Rocky Road and some pistachio and some Neapolitan and make sure that chocolate chip is your favorite. And if you've done that, then it's unassailable that that's the right ice cream for you. And yep. as far as schools are concerned, look at different flavors and figure out what you like. And right. there's nothing wrong with going at it in that, in that kind of process. Exactly. And for our listeners who are saying, well, that's all well and good, but um, what about paying for it, which is a very significant element. And we just did a segment with Gene about borrowing and you don't want to borrow too much money. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about how you factor finances into this whole question of um, putting together a list, because that is an important component for most people. Uh, and if that sounds like you, well, we are going to talk about how do you do this stuff while also in thinking about the financial implications of where you're going to apply. Um, we always are quick to say that don't assume that the state institution is going to be the most reasonable institution. It isn't necessarily. Um, don't assume that a private school is going to be out of reach, but also don't assume that just because you fall in love with a private school and they give a decent amount of financial aid or they have merit money, that you are not necessarily going to be the one who receives it. So there are a lot of different things you need to think about, but we are going to address that in next week's show. Um, Ian, I think that's great homework. Um, 
Good. I have. We need to wrap up so we can get to listener questions. But I have an assignment that I want to give to families and students who have a, this, the beginnings of a list or um, maybe even more than the beginnings of a list. They are pretty sure that this is the list of schools are going to apply to. And that is I want them to go through it and identify why each school is on there. Um, have actual good reasons, maybe at least two for each school. Um, and because I liked the campus or because uh, it's, well, it's X school. Doesn't everybody like this school? Um, those are not acceptable reasons. I would want to know why you, if you were in my office with me, I would want you to tell me why specifically that school is on the list um, yeah. and convince me that it belongs there. So that's my homework for all of our listeners today. That's great stuff. All right. Ian, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, When we return, we're going to be doing office hours and answering at least a handful of listener questions. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome to Office Hours. If you've been listening to our shows lately, you know that this is a new segment where we're answering your questions. We're also um, answering or addressing any kind of pressing issues in admissions and financial aid. Um, Today, we're doing your college admissions questions um, and joining me 
with those is Erica Braley. Hi, Erica. Hello. All right, we have limited time, so let's see what we can get through today. Limited time and a lot of great questions, so I'll jump right in. Okay. The first question is about essays. Um, Our uh, listener asks, what are the top three strategies of college essay writing? So I'm, I'm going to punt a little on this one and encourage the listener the, who wrote this uh, question and also any of our listeners to go and listen to last week's segment and the segment I just did with Ian um, and also to go to our archives where we've done a number of segments around the college essay. Um, there are all kinds of really good tips there. I would say if I had to quickly list the top three, um, be authentic um, sound like yourself, as in sound like a teenager. Mom and dad stay out of it in terms of any help. I'm putting that in air quotes you would want to give. Um, tell a story only you can tell. Those are my sort of big three that I encourage students to adhere to. Excellent. The next question comes from listener Amy. And Amy asks, with regards to the Common App Extra Writing section, If you have not had an obstacle or problem, should you still answer the extra optional writing on the Common App portion of the application? No, no, no. Um, Please spread the word. That additional information section on the Common App is only there if you have some additional information that you need to share. Maybe you want to explain a medical-related absence. Maybe you needed to list two more activities that didn't fit in the grid. Maybe there was something else that you wanted to provide a brief explanation for. This is not a section that needs to be filled out. It is not a section that colleges expect to see anything in. It is there if you need to tell them something, but you should leave it blank if you do not. Um, I get that question from many, many people every year when they start filling out applications. I don't know who said, oh, you should never leave anything blank on an application, but they didn't know what they were talking about. The additional information session should be blank unless you have something important to add. So, no. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I feel strongly about that or anything. (laughs) Um, The next question is, if two departments are offering the same major, how will the student choose the right one? So I think what the reader or the listener is asking about here is just sort of, um, you know, maybe the business is offering a computer science major and engineering is offering a computer science major. Um, I think this is a great example of how it's super important to dig more deeply when you are looking at colleges. So if different departments are offering what seems to be the same major, generally speaking, the major will not be the same. It will be the same in general, you know, sort of general what the, the major is going to cover, but the course requirements may be different. The angle at which they are um, approaching the topic is likely to be quite different. And therefore, it really depends on the student's interest. So a student could be interested in computer science um, and they want to be a computer scientist. And perhaps for them, the best place to do that is through the computer science major in the engineering department, whereas somebody else may have an idea about a business venture that they want to take on that is related to computer science or that uses computer science. And so for them, the computer science major in the business department might be their better bet. 
Um, and the way that you really figure that out is you go online, you read the description of the major, the two different majors, you look at the required coursework. There may be some overlap, but then there may be um, other coursework that is unique to the major depending on the department it's in. So it's getting in there, digging in, and um, doing research online. And then if you still don't know, it's getting in touch with the school to find out from their perspective what is different to figure out which is the best fit for the student who's going to be applying. Great. Our next question comes from listener Kay. Um, She asks, assuming that a kid does well at school, high GPA, near-perfect test scores, What is the code that needs to be cracked with respect to extracurricular activities? I find a lot of parents, including myself, take my kids to various various activities only to find out it doesn't really count. So my question is, what activity or activities is worth pursuing for a potential Ivy League admissions student? Ah, so... I think there is this myth that there is a code to be cracked, and the the issue here is that there is no code to be cracked. Um, part of the problem is if parents are driving the train, sort of like, I'm taking my child to these activities, I'm getting him signed up for this, I'm getting her, I'm driving her to do this, I'm encouraging her to do that, it's starting in the wrong place. Really, this starts with the students. So the right activities to be involved in are the activities that are most interesting to the student. Um, And if you want, we don't really have the time to dig into this fully today. Um, So I guess my bottom line here is there are no right activities. Some kids are going to be super involved in sports, and for them, sports is the right activity. Some students are going to be really involved in something like maybe writing. Um, They're going to get involved in the yearbook and the newspaper, and they're going to be writing a column for the local newspaper um, outside of school. That's a different type of activity to get involved in. Another student might be a really successful and talented debater who's going to do a lot of debate both within school, maybe do some camps on the summertime. Um, They're all very different, and they all potentially could be very strong applicants for any number of schools, including the Ivies. Um, It's all about the level at which the students do the activities and the level of interest they have in those activities. Because if they're doing it just because someone told them, well, you should do this and you should do community service and you should make sure that you play a sport, it all starts to feel very rote, like, well, you know, I'm doing this because I have to rather than because I want to. So the most important thing I would say in terms of as a parent helping your student is really just helping them Um, identify and starting with what are you interested in doing? What do you want to get involved in? Um, If you want to know more, we have some great uh, segments in the archives, one about developing a distinguishing excellence. Um, A distinguishing excellence is something we typically talk about when we talk about the most selective schools, so the Ivies, Stanford, MIT. Um, And that segment is really going to talk a lot about how students get involved, the kinds of things that they do. Um, It's never going to tell you, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, that's it, because there is no code. Um, And again, there is no right thing to do. It's really just about figuring out what the student is interested in. Um, unfortunately, we, well, we got to four. That's pretty good, but that's about what we have time for today. But, Eric, I know you're going to be back, and we'll answer more of these questions in future segments. Um, so thanks so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and thanks to Ian and to Jean. Uh, a few important notes before we wrap up. 
Uh, next week, I'm back hosting. I'm going to be welcoming my former colleague, uh, former college coach colleague, who also happens to be a former Penn and Boston University admissions officer. She's going to come in, and we're going to talk about how you can accurately assess your chances at an Ivy. We get so many questions about this, so we're going to try and help people take an honest look and see, is it realistic? Um, we're also going to be doing uh, another segment in the Schools Out Application Workshop. We're going to check on homework. We're going to discuss how to factor finances into the list conversation. And finally, we're going to be talking about quirky scholarships. Um, send in your questions, getting in.voiceamerica.gmail.com. Uh, visit our archives. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.